Um, obviously, the fans want us to win. We want to win as well. But the ball's around. You know, things happen. And um, we just have to continue um, doing what we're doing. I think we're on a, a great path right now. After Dos Acero glory in Cincinnati, the U.S. draw in Jamaica. We examine Greg Berhalter's big decisions on a night full of controversy at the office in Kingston. In Edmonton, Canada beat Mexico at the newly crowned Azteca. As Alfonso Davies and company top the table, El Three find themselves in total free fall. And the end of the international window means the beginning of the playoffs in Major League Soccer and Liga MX. Plus, a full preview of the NWSL Championship. All that and more starting now on Football Americas. <laughs> yes. There it is. There it is. Oh, yes, for sure. <laughs> Hercules Gomez, Sebastian Salazar with you here on Football Americas. Her good to be on my home turf where I don't get made fun of as we uh, saw there on ESPN FC just the other day. I would never, Sebastian Salazar. Yeah, I right, would right. never. The uh, international window is closed. Some, some might say mercifully so. Uh, are you ready <laughs> to dive back in headfirst into club ball? Yes, please. Let's go. Anything to get you feeling better. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, later in the show, we got Julie Foudy coming on. We're going to preview the NWSL championship between Washington and Chicago. Taylor Twelming going to join us as well to discuss everything that happened in a four-point window for the U.S. men's national team. And as you saw there at the bottom of your screen, you can find it all in the latest edition of the Football Americas podcast. But, Herc, let's start this show with the result of the night Tuesday in CONCACAF. And it's happened up in Edmonton. Commonwealth Stadium, a frigid Commonwealth Stadium, 14 degrees Fahrenheit, Herc, uh, at kickoff up there in Edmonton. Canada pulling out the 2-1 win over Mexico. This game off to a vicious start early on. Daniel Henry laying out Chucky Lozano. No card given, Herc. Should yeah. it have been a yellow? Should it have been a red? A yellow for sure. Red may be kind of harsh, but definitely a card. Mario Escobar then the uh, referee in this match. Alistair Johnson from distance. Just towards the end of the first half, Kyle Lahren scores. Big mistake there from Memo Choa. A huge mistake. He, he's not trying to catch the ball. He's trying to parry it away. And he parries it right into the oncoming path of Kyle Lahren. Look at this. Look at his hands. He's not trying to catch it. So if you're not going to catch it, you need to parry it. You need to parry that wide. He doesn't. A goalkeeper of that experience should know better. Maybe a shout there for Orbelin Pineda, too. Didn't oh, exactly huge. do a good job. Uh, holding up the ball. So uh, at the half, by the way, Chucky Lozano leaves the game. We found out he, it was down to an injury suffered there in the opening minute of play. Kyle Lahren, 52nd minute, scores to make it 2-0. Herc, again, Memo not off his line. Again, another set piece. This is in Memo. That, that's in his area. That's in his uh, six. He's got to get that. He doesn't stock you a ridiculous ball in. He's becoming quite the player for him. And Kyle Lahren again. 90th minute, finally, Mexico come to life. Tecatito, Hector Herrera. All right, 2-1, ball game. Yeah, the final minutes were frantic, were crazy, kind of like this little melee here, but it's Tecatito Corona finally. A little bit of open space, and he finds Hector Herrera, and man, those two needed to play like that bad. So last chance here for Mexico, and boy, Eric, it was close. Jorge Sanchez just couldn't push it over the line. Well, Araujo gets his hand on this, or it looked like Araujo, excuse me, it's Piojo Alvarado, but it's... 
Jorge Sanchez, who can't redirect the shots with his chest on the line, makes it very easy. Any other part of his body that's in. So that it is, back-to-back -back losses for Mexico. Things getting ugly late in the game and the ugliness spilling over afterwards. Let's hear from the manager, Tata Martino, post-game. Bueno, primero que las convocatorias no son todas iguales. Han venido diferentes futbolistas en diferentes momentos. Y sí sigo este, completamente convencido y sobre todo viendo cómo terminamos el partido de hoy es que este, todos vamos en la misma dirección. Con lo que ha sucedido en los últimos días y con lo que se vio el día de hoy en el partido contra Canadá, no sé si le llegó a pasar por la cabeza o le ha pasado por la cabeza, no sé, quizá, eh, dar un paso al costado en ese sentido o qué cambiar para lo que va a ser 2022. Gracias. No, se me ocurre mejorar. Nada más que eso. So there we have it, Herc. No points from two games for Mexico and they fall from first in CONCACAF all the way down to third. Time to play the blame game. Who is at fault for this pointless window? Is it the manager or is it the players? Now, usually I would give you the first bite of the apple here, but I'll take the first bite. You're excited. No, because you're a former <laughs> player and I know that you will never, ever, ever point out the players. And I know the bulk of what we're going to talk okay. about around Mexico is Tata Martino. So okay. let me say this about the players. Okay. The players are failing Mexico right now, both in the game against the United States and in the game against Canada. And it's not players generally. It's Mexico's absolute biggest names, their star players. Let's start up top. Let's start with that Tridente, right? The one that was supposed to redefine what Mexican soccer was going to do. Raul Jimenez, Chucky Lozano, and Tecatito. Those three guys are not the difference makers that they were two or three years ago, Herc. In fact, they're not even close, and none of them are enjoying good form at the moment. You can say the same for the guys in midfield. Andres Guardado, Hector Herrera. But now, unfortunately, you have to add Memo Choa to that list. Memo Choa, who is the face of the franchise right now for Mexico. And he has a huge mistake against the United States, not only giving them bulletin board material, but then not coming off his line when Christian Pulisic slam dunks it on him from two feet away. And then the two mistakes, I think we have to say clearly, against Canada. What a terrible rebound to give away for Kyle Lahren. And then on top of that, please, to again, not come out on a free kick, on a set piece, where you know Mexico have had trouble defending. That's where Memo Chua needs to be at his biggest, and that's where he was at his weakest against Canada. So say what you will about the manager, but Mexico's star players right now are not delivering. Tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. If only there was somebody out there with the power to decide who starts, who plays, who gets called up, who has an opportunity, and who does not. Oh, guess what? There is. It's Tata Martino. These players are playing because Tata Martino doesn't have the call to take them out. Because Tata Martino is putting players who aren't informed in the game. Because Tata Martino is blacklisting players that could help them. Because Tata Martino watches or doesn't watch Liga Mekis and calls in players who aren't in good form. Won't look at other players who aren't in good form. It's Tata Martino. This man, the same man that said, yeah, I know we lost the United States men's national team. Yeah, I know it hurts for the fan three three times in, in one year, but it's not really that important for me or us. You know, the important thing here is qualifying. He would never, ever say that if it was Argentina, Brazil. This man doesn't know where he's standing. This man doesn't know what Mexico is in CONCACAF. He doesn't know anything about anything today. And he's, quite frankly, I don't blame him. He looks fed up. Mm. I told you, I told you, Nations Cup. 
I told you, Gold Cup, the pressure will mount. You said, no, that will never happen. No, nothing will happen to Tata. Here we are, he's getting questioned post-match of only his second loss in World Cup qualifying, and they're asking if he's gonna step aside. It's Tata Martino all day, my man. Herc, you're acting like Tata Martino is gonna take Raul Jimenez or Tuki Lozano or Hector Herrera or Memo Cho out of the starting lineup. Those guys are locks. Whatever, there is whatever no locks. Seb, so you think the Mexican national team is, need to need to take Chucky Lozano out of the lineup? You think they need to take Raúl Jiménez out of the lineup? Is that what you're saying? Tecatito That's what Corona, you want, Tata Martino. Hector Herrera, yes. Guardado, yes. Uh, Hector Moreno in the back. Memo Ochoa, if you need to sit him down for a game, because it wasn't just this game. It wasn't just the United States game. Do you remember Panama? The rebound he gave up there. I'm not saying he's not the de facto starter or he can't start in the future or in the World Cup. What I am telling you, and he said it so himself. These, hierarch these hierarchies, he's going to respect. Nobody is moving these pillars. You saw what happened to the U.S. Men's National Team last cycle when you respect the hierarchies too much. You were a big advocate of that. Now, all of a sudden, you're turning a blind eye. No, I'm just saying that players who aren't playing well in their clubs, you cannot turn around and blame that on Tata Martino. He has to play the Why stars do you of the play Mexican them, National Team, Hurt. Why do you, you play them? I hear you. I hear you complain to no end when it's a U.S. Men's National Team. Who are you going to bring in instead of Raul Jimenez? Who are you going to start it's instead? Mexico, go ahead. No, you got to play them. You got to play Ache Ache. Don't worry. You can never play Charlie Rodriguez. You can't play Romo. You can't play Cordova there. No, it's got to be Ache Ache. What are you doing? You can't move him. Are you talking about moving Guardado? Well, you can't do that. Oh. Seb, nobody is eternal. If they're not playing well, you can sit them out a game and nothing happens. He's got no problem blacklisting players like Carlos Salcedo off of one mistake or an argument with an assistant coach. He's got no problems blacklisting Arteaga because he says, I can't play here because of personal reasons. He's got no problem excommunicating the all-time leading goal scorer for the Mexican national team and bringing in Rogelio Funes Mori, who, by the way, didn't even come in when you need goals. You don't even put him in. And he's there because, Chicharito, you don't want him there. He has no problem doing that, and you're going to sit here and defend him? Six games left. I'm not defending Tata Martino. I'm not defending Tata you're Martino. You're the buck, my friend. The players have to be accountable at some point, Herc. We have to talk about the stars of Mexico falling way off their level. If you don't want to talk about it, because there's some of your buddies from back in the playing day, yeah, that's, that's what okay. it is. Let's keep, let's keep the focus <laughs> then on Tata Martino. Is he it the man for the job moving forward? Do you think he's the guy to pull this team out of the tailspin right now as they sit third? in CONCACAF. Okay, explain this, because you know the tailspin means different things to the Mexican public and Mexican pundits. Are we talking about World Cup qualifying? Are we talking transcendencia? Are we talking about making them play well and going to that quinto partido in a World Cup? Because we're talking about World Cup qualifying right now, even though it's tricky, even though they got four of the next six games at home, we don't know under what circumstances. I doubt Do you think that there's a chance right. this team won't qualify? I'm getting mad 2014 vibes. This, this mm. pressure going on. And we, we don't even know what's going to happen. Seb, we don't know where the next games will be and under what circumstances. If they'll be in the Azteca, if they'll be behind closed doors, if there'll be no public, if they'll serve more suspensions and take the, way into, uh, the game into Monterrey. We don't know that. Right now, first place and fourth place are separated by a point. Goal differential is very tight. It seems like a four-team race. Only three direct go into to the World Cup. I don't know. That said, they should. But if you're struggling to go directly into the World Cup in CONCACAF, are we going to sit here and honestly tell the people that this is the correct man, this is the ideal man to take him to that next level in a World Cup with an aging team? And in a World Cup, it's a young man's game. It's pretty much a FIFA fixture window. If you think about it, it's three games in about an eight to 10 day period, which is what they're doing right now, and they're struggling at that. The modern game, modern football today, speed verticality, physicality, things they are lacking. They're not getting any younger, and Tata Martino's not helping them. 
I just wonder if anybody who's looking for evidence that this could get turned around, like where they're finding it. There hasn't really been a sign of progress with this team since what? Her 2019 Gold Cup, maybe maybe a, a friendly win over the United States that fall. That's well over yeah. two years ago now that we haven't really seen progress from Tata Martino. In the tactical, what was his big move against Canada? To go five at the back? Yeah. Well, did, did, did it really work? No. I mean, well, at the end of the day, they Supposedly, he tried disguising it as five in the midfield, three in the back. And you could say those wing backs are going to be part of your midfield to attack. But let's be honest. You know this. I know this. He sat back. He tried to limit the space for Canada. So, in a way, he tried to change things because he saw it happened the first game against Canada, the second game against the United States men's national team in Cincinnati. And this game, he tried combating that. But... You can't be reactive if you're the Mexican national team. That's not in the DNA of these Mexican players. That's not who they are. They don't wait. You have to go at them. And when you show that fear, this is mm -hmm. what's going to happen. I, I think you can question the tactics. You can question the subs. I mean, he's taken Edson Alvarez, who I thought was Mexico's best player yeah. out of both of these games earlier than I would have liked to see. But I think the biggest point, and you touched on this earlier, is you can question how he's managing this team from a personality yeah. standpoint. I, I, I'm, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but all the vetados, all the players who have been banned from this team, it seems like there's a, a, a toxic negative vibe around this team don't you get that sense when you watch this team play when you watch this team perform it seems more of an individual group that, than a collective that's what it is you're hoping Chucky Lozano can do something in an individual act of brilliance Tecatito Corona who hasn't regained that magic Raul Jimenez maybe be that playmaker he is for Wolves and it's not happening Tata Martino and this is not just your opinion my opinion it's reports from people within the company ESPN mm -hmm. Deportes Mauricio Mai that there's a wear and tear, a desgaste between the players and the coaching staff. And it's not just the vetados, the blacklisted players. It's not just everything that happened over the summer. It's accumulative. And uh, it looks like it's boiling over. The question is, are you confident that Tata Martino can make Mexico better? I don't think either of us are. We keep hearing the support of like a $5 million buyout. Right. At some point, Herc, missing a World Cup costs a lot more than $5 million. I mean, we, we've in the past said that it's too expensive. The Federation wouldn't dare do it. But $5 million actually, in the context of, of, of what stands to be lost, is nothing, right? I mean, and you could, you could get a, a replacement for a lot cheaper. Somebody like a, somebody we've talked about on this show before, a Nacho Ambris, who's sitting there waiting. Who's to say somebody like that wouldn't get the best out of this team? Javier, Javier Aguirre, he's been in this position before and he's taken the team over as a I will rescue the team twice in two different cycles. That mm. could be an option. There's always a default. Miguel Herrera, whatever the case may be, you're right. $5 million in the grand scheme of things, what they would lose in turn of not making the World Cup. Last time they were in danger, 2014, it was rumored $1 billion loss for the Mexican Federation. I think we are uh, safe to assume inflation and whatnot. It could be a lot worse. There we have uh, plenty of bomberos. Surely will be uh, lining up if indeed they do need some help down there uh, to replace Tata Martino. Let's check the mentions, Herc, in the aftermath of Canada and Mexico. The LA Galaxy official Twitter account getting in on it, throwing some shade at L3 for not calling up Chicharito, Julian Araujo, and Efrain. Uh, what about no, Jonah? Mention of, no, no mention of Jonah Dos Santos. Yeah. How about this? Oh, Enrique Peña Nieto, uh, former president of Mexico. Uh, the loser in that exchange between the U.S. and Canada. Just so awkward. <laughs> Just so awkward. What, what, what's going on here? Wait, we're still doing this, he said? Oh, yeah, hey, guys. <laughs> Got the zero points out of that international window as well. And uh, how about this? Oh, yes, there it is. Anchorage, Alaska, the next game for Dos Acero, USA and Mexico. You like it?
All right, let's talk some Canada. Huh? They won the game, after all. Their first World Cup qualifying win over Mexico since 1976, Herc. Improves their qualifying record to four wins, four draws, zero losses. The only unbeaten team left in CONCACAF. They got three wins in a row, all at home. Here's the manager, John Herdman, after the game. Look, I, I just know when you, when you have to go to Azteca and play at altitude, it's tough. When you have to go to Jamaica and play in humidity and heat, it, it's not easy. These road games are really tough. And every country uses, you know, the terrains as their advantage. So, you know, we've seen this, this as an advantage. There was a genuine opportunity here to you know, bring out the Canadian in our players. Uh, they, they've all grown up on plastic pitches, you know, in, in cold conditions. So, you know, for us, we wanted them to feel like it was, it was home. And uh, for the Mexicans, you know, they had to adapt, like we had to adapt to, uh, to altitude. On yesterday, you were hesitant to, to call your team amongst CONCACAF's elite. After the way you guys played today, are you ready to call this team among CONCACAF's elite? Not until we get to Qatar. We've got to get to Qatar, and then that's what I'm asking this country to do. Just keep our feet on the ground, be Canadian, be humble. You know, we, we've won nothing yet. Um, we're on a bit of a roll at the minute, but the, you know, the tracks can come off the train very quickly. Or the train can come off the tracks, one or the other. Not, not that great with my quote, am I? But yeah, I think, I think let's just keep our feet on the ground. And um, if we qualify for Qatar, then I think this whole country can celebrate and recognize the achievement. John Herdman, not quite ready to count Canada among CONCACAF's elite, but the qualifying table tells us something very different. The Canadians sitting atop the group, 16 points through their first eight games, leading the United States and Mexico for one of those three spots in Qatar. All right, Herc, John Herdman was, was pumping the brakes there. Let's not do that here on Football Americas. Is Canada <laughs> the best team in CONCACAF or what? No, no, they're not. I, I'm with John Herdman. Uh, they may be the team that's punching above their weight or the best coach team right now playing to their fullest potential because it's certainly not Mexico and it certainly hasn't been. It's a very even a Jekyll and Hyde type of U.S. men's national team. But Canada, uh, they're just running on Who's all Who's playing cylinders. better than Canada? Well, no, no, no. You asked me if they're the best. If they're playing better, that's a different question. Yes, they're the team right now that's punching above their weight, playing to their fullest potential. And if I look at the lines, and, and it, let's be honest, if you look talent for talent, player for player on all lines, probably the only line where you say they have a leg up or they can compete with the best in CONCACAF is that, that offensive trident of Alfonso Davies, Tejan Buchanan, and Jonathan David up there with any trident in CONCACAF. But then the midfield line, the center backs, the goalkeeping, you would say, okay. But they're all playing very well, and it's the best coach team in CONCACAF. Every single player. Now, now, if I could really quickly, okay, we talk about John Herman. Think about how smart this man is. Think about how tactically brilliant he was. He set the game plan for, for Greg Berhalter to play Mexico, how to play him, okay? Goal score. In El Estadio Azteca, Jonathan Osorio, one of your most creative players, doesn't start this game. Jonathan David, the best nine for my money in CONCACAF, doesn't start this game. You go with Kyle Laren. Guess what? Kyle Laren gets you two goals. Kyle Laren leads CONCACAF with five goals right now. He just keeps hitting it out the park with everything he does. Do I think they're the best team? No. Are they playing the best? Yes. And not just today. I said this about a month and a half ago. Who's the best team then? Ultimately, I still think when it's all said and done on talent level, it's Mexico. 
Oh, on talent level, Mexico, I'll say, you're saying talent Mexico, is Canada the second most talented or third most talented then in CONCACAF? The way I rate this, and I don't know if you agree, tell me if you don't, but when every team's playing to their optimal level, that's who the best is, okay? When you can get the best version of that team, I think in the best version of Mexico, it trumps both the U.S. and Canada. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay, tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo eBay Motors, eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. Okay, let's move on then to the United States and Jamaica gameplay Tuesday night at the office in Kingston, a place that has been tricky for a lot of teams, to be fair, but definitely for the United States historically. Got off to a good start, though, Herc. 11th minute, Tim Weah opens the scoring. Yeah, maybe a little bit fortunate here. Weah won't care. It's a sweet little finish. Look, uh, defender's got to body him. He's got to clear that out, do something. He doesn't. Timothy Weah stays with it off the post and in. Nothing fortunate about the Jamaican response. Mikel Antonio from about 30 yards, Herc. Yeah, okay, he's got like 50-plus goals between uh, Premier League and what is now Jamaica. Uh, none of them outside the box. The first, and it's an absolute hammer. Look at this, off the bounce. And this is, those Nike balls, I, I think it's a Nike ball. They just fly off, and look, Zach Steffen, no chance. It's a 1-1 at the half, into the second half. Bobby Reed, how does he miss it, Herc? I have no idea. That is Sebi Salarar. <laughs> Seb, you would put this away. You have to put this away. It's got to be 2-1 Jamaica at this point. Huge chance missed for the Jamaicans to go ahead at home and one they would come back to Rue. 84th minute, Damian Lowe scores, Herc. Or does he? A foul called against Lowe on Walker Zimmerman. Do you see it? I don't see anything. Jump ball, he got beat. It's a good goal. Fortunate for Walker Zimmerman, the U.S. men's national team, it's called back. Lucked out there. There's a point on the road. Let's hear from the coach. Obviously, the game was, um, you know, it was a, it was a rough game. Um, not the result that we wanted. Obviously, coming into the game, we wanted to win. Uh, we knew it was going to be difficult, and Jamaica made it very hard on us. Um, I feel like at the start of the game, we, we started off dominating a bit, um, got the goal. And then, uh, you know, Jamaica bounced back and got the goal. And it was just about who, who, who wanted it more. And I, I feel like both teams wanted it. Um, conditions were rough, uh, but um, that's no excuse. Uh, we, we, need, we wanted to execute, but it, it wasn't that today. And um, we just have to uh, stay positive, um, keep the positive energy in the group, and just continue on that. Um, we took a positive out of it is that we didn't lose. We got a point out of it. So uh, we just need to bounce back next, uh, next camp. No, listen, I, we're not looking at it as, as a disappointing result. We're looking at it as a good result. Um, anytime you can get a point away from home it is a good thing in CONCACAF qualifying. And I want to be very clear by saying that. I think, you know, for the guys to have their heads down because we wanted more is completely natural. But this is a, a point that we'll absolutely take on the road. 
looking at the game, uh, very difficult game. Jamaica was a very direct team. Um, the conditions made it challenging. But all in all, really proud of the way the guys hung in there, proud of the way the guys battled. And um, closing out this window with four points, averaging two points per game, um, is pretty good. And we'll end up this window either in first or second. And that was our objective of the window. I mean, he called it really early, so I was pretty, you know, it seemed like he was pretty confident uh, of the call. There was a couple hard challenges today that, you know, I think maybe yellow is the right thing, perhaps maybe red on one of them. But, you know, he, it's, it's difficult. It really is difficult. And, um, you know, he called the whistle, or he blew the whistle early, and um, that was a relief. All right, Herc, so we know the controversy there on the Damien Lowe goal that was eventually uh, disallowed for a call on Walker Zimmerman. Did the U.S. deserve their point in Kingston? A fair result, the draw? Fair, no. Jamaica got robbed. You could argue it should have been 3-1 Jamaica. That's not the way football goes. Sometimes the bounces don't go away. Sometimes the call don't go your way. And sometimes, unjustly, you have a result like this. They mentioned it. Good result for the U.S. Men's National Team. Absolutely, because you probably shouldn't have gotten this result. This should probably be 3-1. to one. It's a, a robbed call. Walker Zimmerman jump ball with Damian Lowe. Damian Lowe beats him to it. Bobby Reed misses one right there. It looked like the U.S. Men's National Team was outmatched, physically intimidated, bullied. I understand the conditions are tough because I've been in that stadium. I've been on that field. I've been in in uh, certain circumstances where the field uh, is rough. It's tough, and the opponent can be... A very intimidating opponent. It, Timothy Way has said they wanted it more. Or <clears throat> both teams wanted it. I, I don't know if that's the case. It didn't look like the U.S. men's national team wanted any part of that game after the 20th minute. It's a fair result, Herc. Come on. Let's not, let's not get exaggerated here. They had over 60% possession. They had more shots. Mean? They had more of the ball. And they had more shots. They were more dangerous than Jamaica. In Jamaica... They, had, they were more complain. dangerous than Jamaica. Did you not see the call yep. that goal in the Did body Did you watch remiss? the first half? Did you watch the first half? All we've ever heard about this team is complain that they get off to a slow start. They score 11 minutes into the game. They got plenty of chances in the first half. They you get really off to a think start. the U.S. men's national team had the better of the play and the better of the chances? Yeah, dude, go look at the possession stats. Go look at the statistics. You don't think they had more of the ball? What game were you watching? But that doesn't mean that you can have more of the ball and not be the dangerous, the more dangerous team. Please. Or have the, yeah, exactly. You can, you, can make, you can make the case that Jamaica might have deserved more, but you can't tell me that the U.S. didn't deserve at least a point out of that performance. They didn't deserve a point out of that no, performance. Especially giving, especially giving the context, no Weston McKinney, Christian Pulisic only whoa, for the last whoa, whoa, 16 whoa, 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 minutes, whoa, whoa, whoa. no Miles Robinson. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't go into games with... Oh, by the way, there's no Weston McKinney. By the okay. way, yeah, Musa has You don't think it's a throat. fair result. Do you think it's a good result? That has nothing I think to do. Up, do you know no, what no, fair no, means? You, you can't say Jamaica. Yeah, you've said you don't think it's a fair result. No. Do you think it's a good result, like Greg Berhalter said? It's a great said. result. Given yes. the circumstances, Correct. yes, Seb. I, I will agree with you there. Coming off, coming off Mexico, getting four points in this window without the players that you had going to Jamaica, yes, it's a very good result, uh, the point. All right, let's bring in uh, Taylor Twelman, a, a third man into this wrestling match <laughs> to see if we can decide anything here on uh, Football Americas. Uh, thank you for, uh, for playing along here. I, we, I know we've uh, entertained you there for at least the last uh, 10, 15 minutes, Taylor. <laughs> let's talk about this, this game against Jamaica and the lineup specifically, because I felt like, and I don't know if you guys sensed this while we were mm -hmm. on Twitter, on social media in the few minutes before the game, this was the perfect hashtag USMNT Twitter 
starting 11, right? Uh, you, you, you get your guys. You got McKinney out. You got Miles Robinson. Chris Richards comes in. Twitter loves him. Herc loves him. Eunice Musa comes in. Tim Weah comes in. Maybe the only unpopular pick here is that we didn't see Joe Scally. And then right. I think Twitter would have said it was a, a 10 for 10. And on top of that, Taylor, <laughs> we don't have any of the rotation because we, you know, we don't have three games this window. And yet the performance didn't seem to be a like a build, any type of a building performance off of what we saw in Mexico. So mm -hmm. how do we explain it? What happened in Jamaica? Uh, it's a good question, Seb. Uh, I, I, I don't know where Herc feels on this. I am a little surprised, and I understand why Greg Berhalter didn't rotate the squad, knowing that it was only two games in this round of games. And so I understood that with the performance that they got in Cincinnati, he liked what he saw, and so he wanted to give that group another shot. But on the other hand, you've already set the standard that you're going to rotate pretty consistently here throughout World Cup qualifying with multiple games and injuries and whatnot. So I was a little surprised. Yes, you didn't have Miles Robinson. You didn't have Weston McKinney. I thought Greg Berhalter could have rotated the squad a little bit more because in a weird way, and you two are sports fans uh, of other leagues in this, in this country, it was a quote-unquote trap game. You have your high energy, your high emotional game in Cincinnati against Mexico. Those players put a lot into that. I think it was a little interesting to me that Greg Berhalter didn't rotate the squad more. But in saying that, this still falls on the shoulders of the players and having a flat performance, particularly in the second half. Yeah, if we're going off of Greg Berhalter, the players I'm with Taylor on, it's the players. Because I agree with what you're saying, and you hit the nail on the head here. And and what you said, it's a two-game window, so you can be afforded that opportunity not to make these rotations to say it's only two games. I don't have to play a third. I don't have to worry about overworking these players. And maybe I give the people a little bit of what they want, a consistent lineup, and your hand was forced with two changes, so you make them. Maybe Joe Scali could have gone, came on, getting his feet wet. You could have given him a little bit of experience. Okay, but it's pretty much what I think consensus with Twitter, with U.S. Men's National Pundits, with fans, what they wanted to see, and yet the players didn't produce. And it, they didn't produce not because of quality. It looked because of mentality. They looked timid. They looked scared. They looked bullied. They really looked like any 50-50 ball. They wanted to make it to a 60-40. I don't want this. It, it's theirs. I'm not going to put my foot in here. Uh, you know what? The ball here, I don't want to try trapping it here, take it there, take a touch, take somebody on because it looks like a difficult situation. It almost felt like they wanted no part of this. In the past, the second-half subs have really been what Greg Berhalter has relied mm -hmm. upon to make the difference. So, so why didn't they have that impact then this time around, Taylor? Did he wait too long in the case of, of Christian Pulisic, waiting till the 74th minute to bring him on? Yeah, I mean, Seb, it's obviously a good observation, right? The second half is where he's impacted almost every single World Cup qualifier. And yet in saying that, the game against Jamaica wasn't a game where Pulisic's going to come in there and dictate the game. He, every single time he's going to touch it, he's going to get fouled. Mm -hmm. This is the kind of game, and this is still where I have some question marks about this young, inexperienced group and the identity that they have, is that when everything's perfect, they're pretty good. But when, every, when something's imperfect and when something's a little, can you be a little dirty? Can you be a little more direct? Can you fight? Can you roll up your sleeves and win an ugly game? We haven't seen that necessarily yet. We may have saw that in the second half uh, against Honduras. But you follow where I'm going, guys. Like, at times in CONCACAF, and Herc, you know this because you've done it, it, it you've got to play ugly. You can't play in a perfect field, in a perfect situation, and try to find a way to win. And that 
that's what it, that's less about Greg Berhalter for me, Seb. It's more about the players, and it's more the collection of players that's saying, you know what, this is the kind of game where do we even want 62 percent of possession? Mm. Maybe we want to shove it down their throats and fight and win 50-50 balls and try to win the game that way versus trying to play pretty on a field that honestly you and I, us three, couldn't have played on there with you know Timberland boots on. That's that kind of situation it is at times in Jamaica. I agree with what you're saying, and we could talk about possession. We can talk about numbers. We talk about tactics and all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, it's still a point, and we could say. It's not been good from the U.S. Men's National but if we go back and look at the performances on the road, they've only lost to Panama. Maybe that's the worst performance. Everywhere else, they've gotten a result. With this tried-and-true yeah, you know, formula of winning your home games and stealing on the road, they've been doing that to a sense. So we could sit here and nitpick, and we could say it's not been pretty, but this very inexperienced group got a result. Yeah, and they got the win in Honduras, too, and that'll, that'll count for them as well when you start tallying up all those, uh, those road points. Taylor, we're now going on four straight games with the national team without a goal for Ricardo Pepe. Let's spin ahead. We got six mm -hmm. games left in this qualifying cycle. We got a lot of candidates for that number nine job. Where do we stand with the starting striker position for the U.S. men's national team as we look mm -hmm. ahead to the year 2022? Because right now, Taylor, here we are. We're 12 months from the World Cup. Yeah, it was on this show, remember, where I kind of blew up Twitter a little bit, saying this is, while everyone wants to talk about the talent within this number nine pool of national team players, and yet I look at it and say, you guys tell me where the starting center forward is. Over the last five generations, you knew exactly who your nine was. Even more importantly, you knew exactly who your two forwards were in certain tactical situations. Right now, you don't. It's unrealistic to rely on Ricardo Pepe at 18 years old. He's bound to hit a wall. He has hit a wall. These are going to be normal growing pains of any player of that age and of that stature, and yet you want him to be the figurehead of your attack. We haven't seen anything from Josh Sargent. P-Folk hasn't been called in. DK hasn't been called in, which, by the way, before these games even came around, I don't know where you were, Herc. I was saying at least DK needs to come into this group. If you need someone big, physical, that can grind out something up front, they didn't even have that against Mexico and Jamaica. This is a real concern. And anyone that wants to argue with me and say it's not, you're not paying attention because they've got depth in wide areas, they're pretty good in the midfield, and they're decent at center back, especially when Aaron Long comes back from Achilles. Who's the nine? Who's the nine? Who's going to score you goals? Who's going to be the figurehead? They don't have that answer, and anyone thinks that they do now, that's, that, 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 you're not being realistic with Ricardo Pepe at 18 years old. Especially, especially because nines are about form, and you know this, you know. So if Ricardo Pepe scoring goals, we're not having this discussion. That said, I learned more about Ricardo Pepe right now during the stretch when he's not scoring goals than when he was. I knew he could score goals. I knew he can get hot. Can you stay hot? Can you be a player that, when you're not scoring goals, helps your team? Whether it's link-up play, whether it's bringing others in, whether it's tactically adjusting offensively, defensively. These are things that I'm learning about Ricardo Pepe, and I'm pleasantly surprised. What I don't like, and you just mentioned it, is he's the only nominal nine. You can't have Jesus Ferreira uh, behind him and saying, well, the interpretation, interpretation of space and he runs well and all this stuff, he's not your nine. Daryl Dike is a nine. He's dynamic. He's strong. He's a handful. He can be a guy on a pinch, you put him in, and he's just a handful for defenders. J you know, Jordan Pifok, the same thing. Josh Sargent, Josh Sargent, for my money, is still the most complete forward in this pool. Maybe he catches fire and you have a nine, but you can't have that because they're not here.
I got to move on, but quick answers from both of you on this. Handicap the race for me. 12 months out from the World Cup right now, who is the favorite to start that first World Cup game if the U.S. does qualify, Taylor, at the number nine <laughs> position? Is it Pepe? <laughs> Uh, it's, it's Pepe as of right now. What do mm. you ask me? November 17th? It's Ricardo Pepe right now. But if Giazzi Zardes is healthy and Greg Berhalter's the manager, don't be shocked because that's his binky. Book it. Book it. I agree with the man. Yeah? <laughs> On both counts? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right, book it. That'll be the, uh, the next segment then. Our biggest winner from this past <laughs> winter, winter uh, window, guys, as the U.S. picked up four points against Mexico uh, and then against Jamaica. Individuals here, which players for you did the most to improve their stock in terms of potentially earning a trip to the World Cup? Taylor, I'll start with you. Uh, Timothy Weah for me. Uh, and it's less about earning his spot for the World Cup. It's more so of getting a real glimpse into what this team looks like if he's completely healthy and on top of his game. He is the only one, and this includes Christian Pulisic, and directly from the horse's mouth, of Greg Berhalter that can operate at an uh, at a top speed that's unlike any other player on this team. Pulisic may have a little bit more ingenuity between the lines, combining with players, but Weah showed that. He showed the ability with a final ball. I think Timothy Weah adds an element to this team that we haven't seen, but on, hit, on a whole, he's not healthy all the time. We saw glimpses of that. I think he showed himself really well in these last two games. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. And, and he's starting to get the production value, which is always great. We always love to see. Uh, I guess if I'm going to go with the biggest winner, it has to be Weston McKinney. And I know he only played one game, but he was fabulous. He was ridiculous in that one game. And granted, everything that happened in the first FIFA fixture window where he was kicked out of the national team squad. He was kicked out of camp for violating protocols. And a lot of pundits, a lot of different fans, a lot of people wanted to excommunicate this player from the U.S. men's national team. How does he respond with this play? But it's also when you don't see Weston McKinney, how the team plays. Now, we talk about Tyler Adams being so important. I could argue he's probably even more important. The team struggles when Weston McKinney isn't there. He's contagious in the best possible way. And when his presence is not on the field, the U.S. men's national team hurts, and you can see it. So the big winner for me has to come from the big decision. And what was the big decision about this window? Was who is Greg Berhalter yep. going to start in goal against Mexico? He went with Zach Steffen. It was a huge risk for Greg Berhalter to go with Zach Steffen because mm -hmm. if Steffen messes up, Greg Berhalter has to answer for it. Well, Steffen didn't mess up. He played great against Mexico. And I think at this point, what was maybe a month ago a goalie controversy is no longer a goalie controversy. I think this is Zach Steffen's job to lose. Does anybody disagree with me, Taylor? I'll, I'll start with you. No. 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 I, I, I mean, I, I don't even think it was a controversy in Burholter's mind. I think he just wanted mm. Zach Steffen to get healthy, to get fit, to get confident. But I think in Greg Burholter's mind, Zach Steffen's one. He's always been the one and always will be the one as long as he's operating on some level of consistency. This is still a controversy. I think Zach Steffen's the one, but people still think to this day, right now, that that goal that Jamaica scored, Mikel Antonio, that bomb was on him. So as long as there's a mistake from Steffen or a, or a thought process behind maybe there is a mistake, people would argue. Go ahead, Taylor. Yeah, I'm, Herc, I'm, Herc, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I think there should be a controversy. I'm saying in Burholter's mind Correct. there isn't, but I'm with Herc. In my opinion, Matt Turner equally has as much of a right to play. All right, there you have it, Taylor Twelman. Taylor will be all over ESPN's coverage of the Major League Soccer playoffs. That's coming up across our family of networks. Taylor, thanks as always for the time. So Appreciate blue. it. Thanks for the <laughs> entertainment, boys. Yeah, no problem.
Uh, hey, we got to uh, spice up your Thursday nights here on Football Americas. We do, we do what we can. Time for a quick edition of You Got CONCACAF. This from the failed celebration oh, category. No. Oh, no. This is Lamar Walker with the whiff. Oh, you know what the worst part is? His boy, Mikel Antonio, who dropped that bomb, oh, exposed him on Twitter. <laughs> Did him dirty, Lamar Walker. Like, look at my man. <laughs> Still, not as bad as a whip as uh, Bobby Reed's. It's one of those classic moments, too, right? He's like trying to rub it in yeah. and instead makes a fool of himself. So uh, maybe some karma there for, for Mr. Walker. Revelations Cup, this is the under 20 Mexico in the United States. Mexico totally redeeming themselves, Herc, for the uh, Dos Acero defeat the other night with a 2-1 win. The star once again, Marcelo Flores. In the most L3 way, a youth tournament that they can now boast about. I don't hate. That's not hate. I'm just saying they're a world power in youth soccer. Uh, the goal for the United States from Diego Luna, of course, of our beloved oh El God, Paso. Oh, my God, rock there. <laughs> locomotive, the 17-year-old, uh, made it 1-1 uh, there. But again, this all about Marcelo Flores, Herc. Do uh, you think we'll get him into a, a national team senior call-up soon? Sure, maybe with Canada. Because <laughs> at the rate they're going in Mexico, they're not bringing in any new blood. If if you're Marcelo Flores or Marcelo Flores' father or the camp and you see that Canada's already added you to provisional Gold Cup camp, 60 players, I know, but you're already in that camp, ah, I don't know. We had a uh, good weekend representing Mexico. That uh, for sure is he picks up the MVP award from the Revelations Cup, posting them on Instagram. You mentioned he has uh, the opportunity to play for not just Mexico, but... Canada as well. Who did he run into in the airport? Raul Jimenez said, hey, come on, let's go. Let's get you to the national team. That's right. Raul Alonso Jimenez. A lot of talent there. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. MLS playoff season just around the corner, which also, Herc, means MLS award season mm. is going on as we speak. And, you know, there's not a league that loves itself some awards quite yeah. like MLS. There's literally an award handed out every few minutes. Uh, just today, Ricardo Pepe wins MLS Young Player of the Year. So congratulations there to the 18-year-old from FC Dallas. But of the many awards, Herc, that MLS loves Tejan? to hand out. It wasn't Tejan. It oh. wasn't Tejan. Okay. Are you, you have beef with that, too? No, 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 but... Wow, if Tejan Buchanan was American, was a U.S. Men's National Team player, would Ricardo there Pepe get that is. award? There it is. There it I don't is. Know. Con yes, conspiracy theory, Hercules Gomez. I love it when it comes to the uh, MLS awards. So 
You've, you've told us basically that there are only three awards that you care about, right? They're Coach of the Year, Goalie of the Year, uh, and MVP. So let's get your picks then for, well, for each of those categories, shall we? Did not and say goalie. I said golden boot, but we'll take it. <laughs> oh, oh, we didn't say goalie? Oh, I thought we had goalie in there. Well, we do we'll, have we'll goalie it out. in there. Okay, so Coach of the Year. It's uh, the finalists here, Bruce Arena of the New England Revolution, Robin Frazier of the Colorado Rapids, and Brian Schmetzer of the Seattle Sounders. Herc, with your Seattle Sounders loving ways, your Sounders TV, tell me why it's Brian Schmetzer. Uh, really quickly, Robin Frazier, I cannot believe it took him so long to get another crack at being a head coach. Unbelievable turnaround for Colorado, but he ain't it right now. That's not the coach of the year. Brian Schmetzer, I love you but you ain't it either. It's Bruce Arena, and it's not even close. He's just on a different playing field than the rest. I mean, Bruce Arena's playing checkers within Major League Soccer, the rules, the regulations, how, how do you play, how, what you get out of the DPs, and everybody else is playing checkers. Right? His team was just on a different level. Bruce Arena is on a different level when it comes to Major League Soccer. There's a reason he's one of the winningest coaches in Major League Soccer's history. There's a reason why he keeps staying relevant as the times change. This man was a first champion, one of the first champions, and now he's got a chance to be one of the last champions. He just keeps getting better when it comes to Major League Soccer. Right now, there is no better coach. Wow, how you have turned your back on Brian Schmetzer and the Seattle no. Sounders. This is the no, same guy who on this very same Schmetz. show earlier in the Schmetz. year was always talking about how he was doing it without yeah. multiple and they, MVP and then they candidates on, available they to him. Fall. Brian Schmetzer was the best coach in MLS. Wasn't that just what happened, Herc? What happened? Really, what, I think you got this wrong. What does wrong. my little friend say? Uh, facts change, opinions change? Yes, 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 yes. Facts change and opinions change. There we Dude, go. Dude, you, you got to give it to Robin Frazier. Nobody had Colorado Rapids doing anything no. this year. The, <laughs> Bruce Arena had a great what? season, but it's not nearly you, the surprise. Do you remember the who the coach Rapids. was for the, New England, for the New England Revolution before Bruce not Arena? Not nearly, not nearly the same Do you remember what he said surprise. about those same players who are there today? He threw them under the bus. Do you remember where they were? Your former and now... teammate, Brad Friedel. Was, he's never my former teammate. I'm not no, that he wasn't old. Okay. No. <laughs> but what I'm trying to tell you is if you want to go 180, it's Bruce Arena. I agree with you. Like Robin Frazier, it's a very deserving Did candidate. Did more with less. Did more with less. Yes. Did more with less. Bruce sure. Arena has a great team there. A great team. All right. Let's move it team. on. Let's move along. Goalie of the year. I can't believe that you picked this you with your anti goalie ways. The finalists, Andre Blake, Matt Turner, and Joe Willis, Herc, who are you taking for your MLS Goalie of the Year in 2021? It's Andre Blake. Let me just say, this has to be, this pick has to be, or this award should be like El Trofeo Ricardo Zamora, like they do in Spain. In La Liga, it's a goals-to-game ratio kind of thing. It's like the goals against boot. average, right. Goals it's, against it's, average, it's, right. Yes, this many shutouts and this many games, you win it. There is no discussion of who's oh, the best But that best has to do with the team. What does that have to do with the goalie? That has to do with the 10 guys in front of them that do the work. Does it really? Yes. Does it really? Andre Blake is a madman. Andre Blake, 12 shutouts in 26 games. William Yarbrough was my choice, but they didn't even make the finals. William Yarbrough had 13 shutouts in 33 games. That shows me he's durable, he's played the whole season, and I don't believe in penalizing players because they're not national team players. Matt Turner is a finalist in this award over William Yarbrough. And this isn't on Matt Turner, but Matt Turner had five shutouts wow. in 28 games. Do you know that his backup, Brad Knighton, had six games played and had three shutouts? Two less than Matt Turner on that team, the best team in history of Major League Soccer, and he's a finalist on there. There's some recency bias. There's some U.S. men's national team bias. William Yarbrough deserved to be there. Andre Blake, 
the most deserving for me, probably the best goalkeeper. But if we're going to play, Matt Turner deserved it last year, and Andre Blake got it, so now he's going to be in here this year type of thing. No, no, what are we doing? It should just be a statistical award like the Golden Boot. Make it simple. Don't do goals against. Don't do expected goals. Don't do this and that. Don't give these nerds opportunities to come. No, no, just make it simple. All right, so you got Andre Blake then at the Philadelphia Union as your 2021 Goalie of the Year. What about the big one? The Most Valuable Player Award. MVP, here are your finalists. We got a lot of them. We got Tati Castellano, Scarles Gil, Hani Mukhtar, Joao Paulo, and Daniel Shalawi. A fantastic five, Herc. Who is your MVP? Oh, I was so tempted to give it to Hani Mukhtar because he's just a beast. I love watching him play. Yo, he's the best player in this group, right? Uh, I don't know about that. He's definitely the most exciting. You may not give him the MVP. For me, he's the best player. He's the, he's the most fun to watch on this. Well, he didn't get my MVP. Carlos Hill got my MVP. The New England Revolution are a very good team. And when you think about how good they were, they were so good they could have three MVP candidates. Buxa and what is... Uh, uh, Bo and, and Carles Gil. And Carles Gil on this most offensive team, uh, on the most points in MLS history, was at the heart of everything. The maestro of the orchestra. He's just the one pulling the strings. Goals, assists, setting players up. They don't move unless he moves. Nothing happens unless Carles Gil is at the beginning or end of it. It's just a no-brainer for me. As much as I want to do Hanny Mukhtar because I think he's a fabulous player, I don't think New England is here in this record, historic record season without him. You say he's the most valuable, but then you go on to list all the other big valuable yeah. parts around him. Bo, Buchanan. Made them better. That's what a good player does. Okay, Book says, well, those guys are all very important. The other guys really carried their team. Honey Mukhtar, 16 goals, 12 assists. That's 28 combined goals and assists. Compared to Carlos Hill, four goals, 18 assists. Just 22 combined. I mean, Question. I'm looking at productivity. Both Tati Castellanos and Honey Question. Mukhtar beat Carlos Question. Hill. Question. 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 Uh, does he have a goalkeeper of the year candidate worthy? Hanny Mukhtar, does he have a goalkeeper of the year player? Yes. Does he have yeah. a defender of the year player? So yes. does Carles Hill. Yes. Carles Hill has a, has a goalie of the year candidate as well. Does he have a defender? What, you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to mention the pieces. I'm mentioning the pieces as well. Gary Smith could have had a, a shout for, for our, uh, coach of the year as well. So could it have, goes but both didn't. ways. Could have, but didn't. Please, Nashville without Hani Mukhtar is not near the playoffs. You're telling me Hani Mukhtar made the defense better, the goalkeeper You're better? You're picking him as a dark I'm horse telling you, to beat New England. Heel made everybody around him better in the offensive end. All right, let's start arguing about this. Let's argue about something else. Okay. The Eastern Conference playoff bracket. Now, I have not seen your picks uh, as of yet, Hercules, Good. so I don't know who you've got in uh -oh. the Eastern Conference. But let's see uh -oh. your final bracket for the East. Going into the conference finals, look at you. Upset City, my man. You got New York City FC and Nashville to the finals. Um, let me ask you this. Just why no New England? Why, why, you got them going out in the conference semis. Yeah, is it really an upset? I mean, New yes. York City FC Her, you is You just said very, Bruce Arena was the greatest very, coach in the history of the world. Come that, on. That's exactly what I said. Uh, New York City FC is a very, very good team. Uh, and that layoff for New England... That's we, what it is. It's the layoff. Well, not only that, Buxa could be injured. He could not be available. The layoff at New York City FC coming in strong. They're a very well-balanced team. I will talk about them more, but I like them a lot, as you can see. But, yeah, I, I don't like this layoff for New England. To no fault of their own, it's going to harm them. 
Round one then, of course, uh, starts this coming weekend. You got Nashville, Orlando, Philly against New York, New York City FC against Atlanta. Of course, the revolution there with the bye. Of those games, the New York City FC Atlanta game stands out to me, Herc. Why'd you pick New York City FC in that one? Just down to home field advantage? Because I feel like Atlanta's also coming in very hot. A little. Look at what Atlanta wants to do. They want to open the field up. They want to isolate 1v1. You're not going to really do that at Yankee Stadium. Uh, yeah. You know, it's going to be very difficult. You're going to get a lot of a uh, a lot of double teams. You're going to get a lot of collapsing defenders, collapsing midfielders. It's going to be difficult to isolate those playmakers. And New York City is just a very well-oiled machine. Balance. One of the highest scoring teams in Major League Soccer, but also one of the best defensive teams in Major League Soccer. You look at the players who can hurt you. Playmakers everywhere, all throughout Medina. Uh, Tati Castellanos, uh, you also have Maxi Morales. You've got a lot of players that can hurt you. It's a very well-coached team. And I don't know what type of Atlanta team I'm going to get. It seems like it could be an all-worlder, a blinder from Gonzalo Pineda's men, or we're confused on the message. And we're letting this become a track meet, and we're not defending well. And it's just if I have to go with a tried-and-true DNA, a team that understands who they are, where they play, that's already been tested this year because they had this, we're going to go play at Yankee Stadium, then at Red Bull, then back to Yankee Stadium, and they still do well type of team, i got to pick New York City FC. We make a lot of fun of New York City FC for still playing at Yankee Stadium, and a lot of that is, is fair game. Right. But it's a pretty big advantage. It you know, is. It's not a comfortable place to play for, for any visitors. All right, let's go from the East then to the Western Conference. I haven't seen your picks here either, Herc. You've got Minnesota and Seattle into the conference final. Uh, who you got winning it? You got Seattle winning it with your Sounders ways or what? What do you think? What's the shirt say? Of, yes, of course, of course. Uh, is this just you doing the thing you do every year, which is I'm gonna pick Seattle until they give me a reason otherwise, or is there something different about this Seattle team that you like? I just seem, it seems like every generation has one, you know. They, they have those teams that are always going to be contenders. The Houston of the, you know, the yesteryear, the New Englands of the yesteryear, the Galaxy of the yesteryear. It's Seattle. That's what they do. It's what Brian Schmetzer does. They're going to recoup and get some very good players healthy. Maybe Nico Doledo can be part of that. Jordan Morris come back in the fold. Joao Paulo, MVP caliber level. Christian Roldan, who was playing very well, maybe can recover that level and take him over them. I just think they're a deep team. I think they're a tried and proven team when it comes to playoffs. And also, I'm looking at the field and not a whole lot of a lot of other teams really convince me so they got a first round matchup against real salt lake in round one kansas city vancouver another round one affair portland minnesota caught my eye herc you've obviously got uh, minnesota advancing all the way to the conference finals. Why do you have them beating the Timbers, who are known as a tournament team, if there is one across MLS? That's true. They are a tournament team, and they better score first because uh, when they concede a goal, they've only earned six points this season. They concede first, only six points. And there seems to be something that happens with Major League Soccer teams, and I've been part of this, where you realize, like, when I was with the Galaxy, it was very difficult for us to beat Columbus. We just always had a hard time with Columbus. They were our boogeyman when I was playing there. I look at this Portland team, guess who their boogeyman is? It's Minnesota United, and it's not even close. I mean, 10 games, they've won seven, tied one. The last time Portland Timbers beat them, it was like 2018. You know, it just seems like they have their number. It seems like Minnesota United knows how to play against Portland. And if this is the case with Portland these days, if you can shut down Sebastian Blanco, you're better for it. And if you shut down Sebastian Blanco and you have Reynoso firing on cylinders with Lord and those other players, Ozzy Alonso in the center of the midfield, you know, just uh, orchestrating things, it's going to be a long night for Portland. And it doesn't matter if they're playing at home, playing away. Minnesota's proven they've got their number. 
Very interesting, Herc, to hear you throw praise on Minnesota United after what you said about Adrian Heath earlier this season on this show. You remember yep. that? Are you are you are you t are you changing are you changing your tune here a little bit? Are you now an Adrian Heath fan? No, I don't have to be a fan of a coach to think they're going to win. Hey, hey, he, he, he'll like this one. Hindsight is twenty twenty, but mm -hmm. you don't have the luxury of hindsight here. Okay, all right. Facts change. Opinions change. We got MLS Cup playoffs coming up this weekend across our family of networks. New York City FC and Atlanta United game we were just talking about. That one is on ABC Sunday. Coverage starts at 3 p.m. Eastern time. That the uh, first of a doubleheader. And then 5.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN. We got the Portland Timbers and Minnesota United. Some good games there in the first round. Big news in MLS today, Herc. Bob Bradley and LAFC have agreed to mutually part ways after four years together. Bradley leaves with a 58, 34, and 32 record. He won the Supporter Shield in 2019, reached the final of the CONCACAF Champions League, Herc, in 2020. So, Four years of Bob Bradley in charge of LAFC, Herc. Was it a success? Absolutely. Yeah, success. It's a brand new franchise. You want to get things off the ground. You want to create a buzz. You want to start being a winning franchise. Supporters Shield, they should have won the CONCACAF Champions League. They blew it there. Uh, but everything he's done in those four years with Carlos Vela and that team and the amount of goodwill he's created here in L.A., especially with the rivalry with the Galaxy, it's a success. Now, you want to say he didn't win anything? That's fair game. He didn't win anything. But I'm very certain you ask any new franchise, Bob Riley will get you this in your first four years, and every single owner, every single GM will sign it. I want that now. Mm. I wonder if you still think that about LAFC. Would they would they sign it? The four years comes not just without a major trophy, Herc, as we have discussed on this show, but also with just one playoff win. You know, this team was built for more postseason success. It would have been nice to see LAFC in a conference final, in an MLS yeah. Cup. The league deserved that. Because for a while, Bob Bradley did have this team playing as good as we've seen anybody play in MLS. That was, you know, forget, forget kind of the numbers and the statistics. Aesthetically, it was a very pleasing team to watch. But with nothing to show for it, you got to wonder, what's the next move for LAFC? Because they have set the bar high here with Bob Bradley. Whether he got the trophies or not, there is a high bar there. You can't really take a step back and hire a smaller name, can you? No, are you are you okay right now? Are you giving Bob Bradley praise? What's going on? Are you okay? Yes, I agree with you. I agree with you, Seb, and they may come to regret this. The grass isn't always greener on the other side. There are reports that Bob Bradley is on his way to Toronto to meet up with his brother who works in the front office, to meet up with his son who's a team captain. If Bob Bradley goes to Toronto, a team with that kind of money, those type of ambitions, don't be surprised if this Toronto goes back to their winning ways. Mm. If Toronto's a protagonist again in Major League Soccer, Bob Bradley is like Bruce Arena. He knows this league very, very well. And what happens in the playoffs oftentimes is a crapshoot. This is why the Seattle Sounders and I was pumped up. They just seem to have it down within playoff time. You say they may come to regret this. You make it seem as though it was LAFC's decision to part ways with Bob well, Bradley, the press walk. release. To let him the walk. Press, yeah, the press release says it was a, it was a mutually agreed upon breakup. So uh, so there is that there. And as you mentioned, Bob Bradley seems to have lots of other options, not just Toronto. He's been hey, linked to a lot of different places. Let so, me tell you something. Um, he may want out as much as LAFC wants to move on. I've been in plenty of relationships, and it's never mutual. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, speaking from speaking from experience, there. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Speaking of experience, should be a great one this weekend. The NWSL Championship, Herc, Saturday in Louisville. through four hats, beautiful ball. Hatch will finish her second in stoppage time. Goal, it's Pugh. Mallory Pugh breaks the streak. There we have it. The NWSL Championship is set. Washington Spirit and Chicago Red Star Saturday noon Eastern time in Louisville here to break it down. Julie Foudy, who joins us on Football Americas. All right, Julie, so each of the two finalists here, Washington and Chicago, pulled off huge upsets in the semifinals. They were both pretty significant underdogs against O.L. Reign and the Portland Thorns. So which of these two teams, then, as we look forward to the final, do you see as a favorite? Seve, you're going to love this. You know where I'm going. I'm going with the Washington spirit, your beloved Washington spirit. And I, and I think this is a team, as we've seen, that has gone through so much turmoil beyond the league turmoil that all of us in the women's soccer world have gone through. Um, this, this team, as we know, with the ownership turmoil, Steve Baldwin, the letter they had to write to him, basically asking him to get out. Um, yet, they just continue to roar on. 11-game unbeaten streak. And I go back to that trio that we've been talking about. Hatch, Trinity Rodman, Ashley Sanchez. That three is so good together. Um, you've got Andy Sullivan sitting in behind them. I just think that they're, they are flying on a lot of cylinders and a lot of, a lot of confidence, and they're going to be too much for Chicago to handle. Okay, Julie, what kind of game are we going to expect? If they're both, in theory, underdogs making it to the final, two underdogs versus each other, what kind of game are you looking for do you think we'll get? And do you maybe have a player to watch? I definitely have a player to watch, uh, Herc, and that is Trinity Rodman. I mean, this kid at 19 years old, she obviously just won Rookie of the Year for the league, but she is going to be someone that everyone should have their eyes on because she is a ton of fun to watch. And she's got everything. She's got speed. She's got skills. She's got composure in big moments, as we saw in the semifinal uh, Washington goes down early. She comes in just about five, ten minutes later, puts in the equalizer, calmly places it side netting, seven goals, six assists on the year. So this is a player that is a ton of fun to watch. But um, and, and then on the on the flip side, uh, in terms of what you're going to see, I mean, we, we, we know Mal Pugh obviously is an MVP candidate, didn't win the MVP, Jess Fishlock did. Um, 
Whether she plays or not, she was out of the semifinal because uh, for COVID protocols. I'm hearing she is going to play in the final. Uh, Kalia Watt was also out due to injury. She came out of the semifinal. So those two are key components that are both question marks for the weekend. If they have both of them, it's a different look, of course, for Chicago and a better look for Chicago. Um, but I still think even if Watt and Pew both play, and I think Pew, I'm hearing, is going to play, um, I still think Washington has too much for him. All right, so the player to watch is Trinity Rodman, and the favorites are the Washington Spirit. Julie Fatty clearly playing to a pro-Washington crowd here on Football Americas. Uh, well done. I will say I'm disappointed, <laughs> Julie. Uh, we didn't really know who the, the favorite or the underdog was from, from like a Vegas or an odds-making standpoint. We couldn't find odds anywhere. Yeah. So, so, so the people who make these odds, you know, put them out there. There are people that are, that are very interested in, in the go. outcome of this game uh, on Saturday between Washington and the Chicago Red Stars. Uh, I want to talk about players to watch, but uh, maybe from a a season-long standpoint, Julian. That's the MVP. We had Jess Fishlock of OL Reign, the midfielder, five goals, four assists. She's named the NWSL MVP for the season. She finishes ahead of some pretty big names. Mallory Pugh, like you mentioned, Midge Purse, Ashley Hatch, the Golden Boot winner for the Washington Spirit, Angela Salem, huge part of the uh, mm -hmm. Portland Thorns and their historic season. So plenty of, of good qualified candidates, Julie. Are you cool with it? Did the NWSL and the voters get it right? Is Jess Fishlock the right choice for MVP? Of course I'm cool with it because she's a midfielder. So anytime <laughs> you give some midfielders some love and an MVP category, I'm all in. And I actually think Laura Harvey, her coach with OL Reign, said it best when she said, hey, look, you talk to any coach in this league, and if I said to them, you can only take one of our players. And mind you, this is an OL reign that is stacked, chock full of talent. Eugene, uh, sorry, Le Sommer, Rapino, Rose Lavelle. I mean, you go down the list of players they could take. She said that most coaches would pick Jess Fishlock. And I think that says everything. So beyond, obviously, her ability to get on the scoreboard, she's also, also someone that just pulls and dictates the pace of a game. Uh, and and is really the engine for all that OL Reign did this year. So I think she does deserve it. I can't believe you can go with the forward. I would have gone with the forward. Washington Spirit, Golden Boot, uh, right there for Hatch, maybe Mallory Pugh. That's fine. I I'll let it slide only because you are an owner of one of the <laughs> coolest jerseys I've ever seen. For me, this is straight dripping. So I'm mm -hmm. going Whoa. to ask you, dripping or tripping, the new Angel City jersey. Straight fire for your boy. Yep. I love it. I love it. And if my 12 and 14 year old think it's dripping, then it's dripping. So <laughs> I agree with you, Herc. Uh, it's dripping. I, I, and and uh, I was blown away by, I mean, I, I am often blown away. And I say this as a co-owner, so I come from a biased approach, of course. But um, I'm often blown away by what we've been able to do at Angel City with only one player, by the way. We only have Kristen Press signed to the team. So uh, that will eventually grow, of course. But I, I think the new kit looks great. Julie, one of the interesting things about this new uniform is that a percentage of the sales will go back to the players. We yep. also know that Angel City FC are going to do that with a percentage of, of ticket sales. Uh, is this something that you see as kind of a long-term solution for boosting salaries when it comes to women's soccer? And do you think it's something that eventually we'll see adopted maybe around the league? 
Well, one of the, the very first things when Julie Ehrman, our president at Angel City, and uh, Kara Nortman and, and Natalie Portman, the three founding co-owners, said when they came into this league is they said, hey, look, we want to do things differently. and We want to create a roadmap so other teams look at what we're doing and go, ah, that, what a great idea. Why didn't we think of that? And we could do that as well. And that's exactly what this is, Sebi. It's about raising that minimum salary, which is 22,000, as we know, for this year with NWSL. And not much money, as we know, it's a struggle. Uh, and we've seen the Stop the Side Hustle campaign by the players. And this is an attempt to say, hey, look, we can think creatively. We can give back with this number 22 jersey. It represents the two sides of 11, so 22 players. It's the Player 22 Fund that Angel City started. And we'll give a portion of that jersey sale back to the players beyond the ticket revenue, like you mentioned. And so, yes, I do think it's something that could be replicated. I'm hopeful that there are more teams that and more owners that think this way um, because, honestly, we need to be doing more, as we've seen and talked about for a long time for these players in the NWSL. Take my money, Julie. Take my money. <laughs> oh, I'll take a free jersey, too, you know, if there's any, if there's any of those that get, uh, that get lost in the mail. There she is, uh, Julie Fowdy, among the many hats that she wears, a, uh, a co-owner of Angel City FC. Julie, thanks for joining us here on Football Americas. Thanks, guys. All right, Herc, Liga MX, where it is repechaje weekend. Two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. Teams 5 through 12 battling for a spot in the quarterfinals. Let's make the people who watch this show some money with an addition of Book It. Why don't you give us your four-game parlay for the repechaje round? Wow, it's going to be a lot. Four games to parlay. All right, here we go. Santos. They're going to win over San Luis. Pumas, they're going to win uh, against Toluca. And Puebla mm. over Chivas. Monterrey over Cruzul. Let me tell you why. Where does the production want to start first? All right, Chivas. He wants to know why Chivas will not win. Why will Puebla win? Chivas are going to go against Puebla, who's not my opinion. These are mm -hmm. numbers. Over the last calendar year in football, in Liga MX, over two tournaments, they are one of the best teams in Mexico. Chivas, a team that in eight games with Michel Años since he's taken over, only scored five goals. What do you, but it's, it's Puebla. Puebla didn't start well. That's true. Only three points in the first six weeks. But since week six, 21 points. They're a very difficult team to play against. And if I give you this little stat, this little number, Chivas, in the last eight times they played against Puebla, have only managed to win once. Remind me where you started your uh, your Mexican soccer sojourn. What's that have to do with it? <laughs> you taking Chivas? Just reminding the good folks at home that you uh, did win a golden boot while playing for for Puebla. They do Sorry, have my, Alexis. My IFB cut out. Alexis Vega is uh, is reportedly gonna be back for this game, so yep. so that'll be a, a, a good boost for Chivas. They they should have improved odds based on on that alone. Let me ask you this. Let's say they do win Chivas. Does it save the season? Does getting to the quarterfinals alone do enough for Chivas to claim a successful campaign? In the eyes of pundits and their fans, no. Realistically, the way mm. this team is structured, with the limitations that it has, yes, it should save the season. They're, they're, they're playing behind an eight ball sub. They're in a different market than everybody else. They get priced out of the Mexican player market because they're in need of Mexican players. Only Mexican national players, whether you're born or through your parents or bloodline, can play with Chivas. That limits your pool. And when the opposition knows your pool is limited, guess what? They sell it at a higher rate. You're playing with different rules. I believe 
that if they win this game and make it into the next round, they've done enough. This is a team that in 20-something years has two titles. Mm. The reality gets lost with pundits, gets lost with, with fans because of the mystique of what is Chivas. Repechaje means 12 out of the 18 get in. If you win one game in the repechaje, you cannot possibly claim to have salvaged your season if you're Chivas. Please, getting into the playoffs is, is nothing, nothing, have nothing to be proud of in Mexican soccer. Over the years? They would be, maybe they would beat Puebla. That would be saving your season for one win over Puebla and the repechaje means you're... Please, please. Chivas has to hold themselves to a higher standard Why? than that. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of higher standards... Cruz Azul and Rayados had higher standards coming into this season. One is the obviously defending champion of Mexican football. The other is probably your biggest spender in Mexican football. And yet, here they are. They find themselves in the repechaje. They'll play at Estadio Azteca. No fans there for Cruz Azul. One team will go out, will go home disappointed before the quarterfinals. For which team would it be a bigger fracaso, Herc? Monterrey. It's one of the... Highest spending teams in all of Latin America. What about the CONCACAF Champions League? That doesn't buy you some goodwill? They, they always win the CONCACAF Champions League. That's what they do. It, it's their tournament, and it has been for the better part of two decades. That's what they do. But if you look at Cruz Azul, Cruz Azul has a bit of goodwill, a bit of equity built up with pundits, with fans. If you look at over 21 years, no championships, and all of a sudden they wins one, they're allowed to have that little hangover. If anybody's How long? Over... How long? We're not going into the playoffs. They had a whole season for Campeonitis in the You hangover. haven't even finished the season. You've not even... You're asking a team that went 21 years without a title to win two in six months. I think they're allowed to slip, especially the way that everything started. I mean, literally, they How were many without seasons eight does it to start the season. How I'm many sorry? seasons? One season, two seasons, three seasons. This is his second season, Seb. Are you really going to hold his hands over the coal right now off of one bad season? And we don't even know because they're in the playoffs. We don't even know it's going to be a bad season. But fracaso, it will always be labeled a fracaso with either or. But more of a fracaso, it has to be Monterrey with mm. Javier Aguirre, who makes over $3 million. That crazy, luxurious roster that they have, 1 through 27. I mean, you can go every single player, and it'd be Major League Soccer DPs, that type of, of talent, that type of, of just money that they've invested. Cruz Azul, on the other hand, it's been one after the other. This may be the first game they play where everybody's healthy. Okay, so Liga MX trophy buys you infinite time. CONCACAF Champions League oh, trophy no. Buys you nothing. Those are the words of Hercules Gomez here on Football America. Good Time for our parting shot then here on the show, Hercules. And how about this from Danny Alves, now officially back with Barcelona, introduced in front of adoring fans today, dressed the part. He wore sandals, uh, as you might expect from Danny Alves, the Brazilian, back in Barcelona colors. He had many interesting things to say uh, upon his introduction. But of course, what's most interesting to us here on Football Americas is what he had to say about one of the people he'll be competing with playing time for, the American, Serginho Dest. I'm going to try to help him as much as I can. I think he's a great player. He's got everything to be one of football greats. So we're going to try to make him understand how things are done here and to help him adapt to the team, to the style of play, how things are planned out. Herc, he could be one of football's greats. What do you think of the words from Danny Alves on Serginho Dest? If Danny Alves is saying it, I'm buying. And by the way, Serginho Dest, that's his idol. Serginho Dest said that Danny Alves was his idol. Literally, he gets to learn from his idol how to pay the position the right way, the correct way.
Right, exactly. Who better to learn from to be an attacking right wing back than Dani Alves, and where better to do it than Barcelona. Speaking of Barcelona, they are in action Saturday, 2.50 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Plus, a Barcelona derby as Barcelona face off against their local rivals, Espanyol. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Américas. Hercules Gomez, as always, a pleasure to be with you. We will be back on Monday with another edition of the show. Big weekend coming up as we dive back into the club game. For Herc, I'm Seb. Thanks for Who's watching. DC United playing this week? See you next weekend. Oh, come on. Of all the cheap shots, of all the cheap shots, that's oh, the that cheap shot easy. you want to go easy. out with? I'm sorry. Come on. I apologize. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks. Predicting upsets. Winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One.